Good evening, everybody. We're going to debate tonight a court's decision to throw the city of Dallas, Texas, out of a lawsuit filed by the family of a man shot and killed by an off-duty police officer. With me tonight are retired Los Angeles Police Sergeant Cheryl Dorsey, former federal prosecutor Gene Rossi, both joining me for this discussion. Let's begin with a look at the case itself. The lawsuit by the family of shooting victim Botham Jean is against defendant Amber Geiger personally and against her employer, the city of Dallas. It also rounds Geiger's shooting and killing of Jean, an unarmed man in his own apartment, which she says she mistook for her own. The aftermath was caught on this body camera footage recorded by responding officers and on this 911 call placed by Geiger herself. He saw someone? Yes, I thought it was my apartment. I'm Oh my God, I need to get me, I'm, I'm in. Okay, we have help on the way. I know, but oh. I'm, I'm gonna lose my job. The lawsuit seeks money damages for pain and suffering, mental anguish, loss of companionship, funeral and burial expenses, court costs, interest, and punitive damages for conduct done with evil motive or intent. The Jean family tried to link the city to the shooting by telling the court Geiger pulled the trigger less than half an hour after her 12-hour shift ended. She was still in uniform, still wearing a badge, and pulled the trigger of her city-issued gun. The family says she failed to observe proper police protocol of de-escalating the situation, seeking cover, or calling for backup. Plus, the family says the department considered the incident an officer-involved shooting and leaked documents which should have been sealed to the press in order to back up Geiger's version of what happened. But a federal judge ruled that the city cannot be held legally liable for Geiger's conduct and that the city, not Geiger, should be dismissed with prejudice as a defendant. That means the claims cannot be refiled. The reason? The judge ruled that the Jean family lawsuit fails to state a claim upon which relief can be granted under Rule 12b-6 of the Rules of Civil Procedure. It's a common form of case dismissal based on the pleadings alone. It basically means that even if all of the facts are true, the law simply does not allow the Jean family to win against the city. Let's jump in with our panelists right now. Former federal prosecutor Gene Rossi, the team that's representing the Jean family here immediately filed an appeal. Do you think there's any chance that an appeals court would step in and keep this suit alive against the city? Absolutely. And here's why. I used to do civil cases back in the day with the Justice Department. And when you file a motion and it's decided on the pleadings, appellate courts don't look kindly upon that, especially if you have someone who's killed and here's the trouble I have with the judge's ruling. If you assume the facts alleged just on the complaint, he's making a ruling that there was no nexus, no possibility that uh, Ms. Geiger was operating under color of law or within the sphere of her employment. And I think that's a very bad ruling to make so early in the case before discovery was even taken. So I predict that the appellate court is going to send it back down and reinstate the case for further proceedings. Former LAPD Sergeant Cheryl Dorsey, one of the big complaints in this civil litigation is training. Do you think Amber Geiger was properly trained given the facts that we know which came out in the criminal trial? Of course she was properly trained and she demonstrated her training on the stand when she stood up and said that she's taught and trained to fire two rounds in rapid succession to center mass with the intent of killing that person. So training is not an issue. And I 
um, disagree in that once she's off duty, I said from the very beginning, there's no way that you can hold the police department accountable any more than you would if I worked at Applebee's and I kept my smock on when I left and did something that maybe made someone sick because I served them food that wasn't kept at the right temperature. It's nonsensical to me. Okay, Cheryl, so I'm going to read you a quote from the lawsuit here, and this is some of what is actually said here. Um, basically, the family is accusing Amber Geiger of being a dangerous individual with highly violent and antisocial propensities. What's your reaction to the language? Well, listen, this is, you know, they have a, um, a mission, if you will, and their mission is to get in those deep pockets of the city of Dallas. I don't see how you can hold her responsible. She's off duty. She didn't identify herself as a police officer. She wasn't acting in the course and scope of her employment. And so why, when I'm off duty as a police officer or a supervisor, if I get into trouble, I'm not expecting to call for backup. It doesn't come to me when I'm off duty. I don't have those same kind of... And that's why, really, it's not good to get involved in anything when you're off duty, because you don't have those same tools and accessories if the if the event goes sideways. So I, I don't see this thing. Okay, Cheryl, but, but you said that you thought that she was properly trained. So should she have gone into the apartment or should she not have? Listen, don't get me started because I have a whole situation about that. No, she shouldn't have gone into the apartment. I mean, training, I believe she was there for a different reason. And I know that that wasn't uh, brought up during the course and scope of the trial. Um, I, I don't think training is an issue because... She went there for a specific purpose, I believe. Now, that wasn't the way the trial shaped out, but she was acting as if, you know, what you know you can't forget. You can't unlearn training. And so she was doing the things that she was trained to do. But if she were on duty and she was acting in the course and scope, tactics would be a problem. She could be disciplined administratively because of poor tactics. As a citizen, you don't get that same poor tactical uh, adjudication of action. Gene Rossi, you're not involved in this case, but from your perspective, you think that the city should be on the hook for this. Yes, and I most absolutely respectfully disagree with Cheryl. My point is this. She had a uniform. She was using their gun. It was 30 minutes after she had gotten off her shift. I, I understand Cheryl's point. My point is a judge should not pull the trigger so early, no pun intended, in the case without discovery, to see was she acting as a police officer when she entered that apartment? Because if she was, it's no different than a person who gets off shift, a police officer, drives by a soccer field, sees a fight, gets out with his gun and his badge, and plays cop. That would be someone who would be subject to, to the rules and regulations of the city. So I humbly, most respectfully disagree with Cheryl. All right, we're going to have both of you on to discuss some other cases in a couple of minutes. First, though, recall that the defendant took this stand during her criminal trial. This is Amber Geiger, of course. Prosecutors pressed her about her intentions going into Botham John's apartment with her city-issued gun drawn. At the, yes, it was a threat at the time. Ma'am, will you answer my questions, please? Yes, sir. When you shot at Mr. John, you knew you were using deadly force against him. Yes. You know what a bullet can do, don't you? Yes, I do. And when you shot at him twice, you intended to kill him? Y yes, sir. All right. So all this stuff about it being a, a sad mistake, 
at the moment in time when rubber meets the road, when you pulled that trigger, you intended to kill Mr. John? He was the threat, yes, sir. Will you answer my question? When you aimed and pulled the trigger at Mr. John, shooting him in center mass exactly where you are trained, you intended to kill Mr. John? I did. Let's jump in now with attorney Daryl Washington. He's actually representing the family of Botham John and the estate. Attorney Washington, thanks a lot for being with us here. You're directly involved in this. I want to read for you a quote from the lawsuit where I think you tried to basically tie everything together to try to get at the city of Dallas in this case. You said police chief Hall immediately and rightfully considered the incident an officer involved shooting as defendant Geiger was in full uniform at the time of the shooting, was performing the duties of a law enforcement officer, was donning a badge, used her service weapon and was behaving as a police officer when she shot Jean after issuing verbal commands to him in his home but failed to charge defendant Geiger with a crime. Now you're talking about the police chief, but you're basically setting up that the city had its hands all over the equipment, all over the officer's conduct and everything with this case. So is the simple act of being off duty legally enough to ride over all of those facts you laid out? The judge basically seems to have said yes. Well, let me just be very clear. Here in Texas, uh, Texas state law, as well as federal law, it is extremely clear that an officer, as soon as an officer believes or has reasonable suspicion to believe that a crime is being committed, they now go from off-duty to on-duty. Now, you heard Amber Geiger say in her testimony that she thought he was a threat. That alone uh, means that she has reasonable suspicion to believe that some, some type of criminal activity was taking place. Uh, here in Dallas, the Dallas uh, Code of Conduct is very clear. It speaks to this very issue that officers are on duty 24 hours. Amber Geiger stated in her testimony, as well as the statement that she gave to detectives, that she thought a burglary was being committed inside of her dwelling. Now, let's just take away, it doesn't matter whether it was her place or someone else's place. She thought that a crime was being committed. At that point, she became on duty, and, and the law supports this. Are you accusing the federal judge who basically tossed this case of making a mistake as to law? Uh, I respectfully disagree with the federal judge uh, on this ruling. Uh, the ruling is contrary to law. Uh, the law, there is a Texas Supreme Court case that speaks on this. This is one reason why here in Texas, you see uh, private companies uh, hire off-duty police officers uh, to serve as their security guards. And the reason that they do this is because it rids them of liability in the event that anything happens with that officer. Because as soon as a crime or an officer reasonably perceive that a crime is being committed, they are no longer uh, off duty. And if Amber Geiger would have approached Botham and she thought that Botham had committed a crime, then Amber Geiger had the legal authority to place him under arrest. So clearly the, the city of Dallas is on the hook Clearly, there are training issues. Throughout the trial, uh, Amber Geiger was asked a number of questions about training. Uh, she stated uh, under oath that she did not recall her CPR training. She stated under oath that she did not recall her de-escalation uh, training. So there were serious training issues uh, that we think led to the death of both of them. And you said something very that was very important. 
Uh, in essence, what the judge did with this ruling is basically made a, a summary judgment ruling. Uh, we pleaded in our complaint that Amber Geiger was on duty. They alleged that she was off duty. And we all know that the judge is supposed to uh, view the pleadings in the light most favorable to the plaintiff. And in this case, it was not done. So that's the issue that could result of the appeal here. Very quickly, uh, Attorney Washington, what are your prospects for financial recovery, assuming that the city remains off of this lawsuit? Well, you know, we, we steer early on in, in the process. Uh, obviously, you know, most people, most betting people would, would tend to believe that Amber Geiger financially would not be able to take care of any type of judgment. Uh, that's down the road. We still believe that the city has some type of responsibility, some type of liability in this. Uh, if you also recall, Amber Geiger talked about being extremely sleepy. Uh, she talked about the issues of uh, police officers having to work excessive overtime hours. Uh, those are issues that we believe places the city of Dallas on the hook. And if you look at the burden that the magistrate judge is expecting us to overcome, the magistrate judge say, although Amber Geiger uh, took the life of Botham John, who was an unarmed minority, we needed to cite to other cases involving off-duty police officers gone to the wrong apartment, I mean, apartment, killing an individual. And we know that would be an impossible burden to, to overcome, but we know leading experts throughout the country have all agreed, police officers have all agreed uh, that at this particular point, when Amber Geiger decided to use deadly force, Amber Geiger was on duty. Attorney Daryl Washington representing the family and estate of Botham John, thanks a lot for joining us here on The Debrief tonight. Thank you for having me. A pretrial hearing is set for Monday, and jury selection begins Tuesday for former movie producer Harvey Weinstein, who faces sex crimes charges for alleged attacks on two accusers. Though the number of accusers is many, the list of charges Harvey Weinstein faces is actually rather short. But the charges are nonetheless serious. Tonight, a focus on the actual case going to trial as accusations stack up on the sidelines from more than 80 women. Here's the list of actual criminal charges Weinstein faces as to two accusers. Predatory sexual assault is the most serious charge with a possible life sentence. Then there's one count of criminal sexual act in the first degree, another count of predatory sexual assault, one count of rape in the first degree, and one count of rape in the third degree. That last count is for an alleged sexual attack on an accuser too young to legally consent. Let's bring the panelists back in on this case. Cheryl Dorsey, very quickly here. The uh, accusation here involving the sixth accuser was actually dropped, so we don't have six counts here. I should say the, the sixth charge involving the third accuser was dropped because the police were accused of withholding evidence, which made Weinstein look not guilty. Is that going to substantially hurt the state's case? Because remember, the state wanted to add up all of the accusers to basically say it's more likely than not that this guy committed a crime. Well, in my opinion, I mean, whether you have, you know, one victim missing, one crime, one count taken away, I don't think it minimizes nor does it mitigate the seriousness of what he is actually charged with. And so, you know, while, you know, he's only got so much life to give and there's only so many years ahead of him, I don't see this as being a real issue. Gene, here's how I see this shaping up. The defense is going to attack the law and the accuser's stories, and the state will rely on a strength in numbers strategy to suggest everyone is telling the truth that the conduct alleged was not consensual. 
Do you agree with my short prediction or do you disagree? Oh, I agree. Here's the thing. It goes back to the Kellen Winslow case that we've covered uh, pretty thoroughly on this show. When you have more than one, two, or three allegations in the indictment, that's not good. But I am sure under the rules of evidence, 404B, other crimes, the prosecution has probably 10 to 20 other similar acts, same mode, intent, plan, opportunity, that I'm sure the judge is going to allow in. That is really going to be a high hurdle for the defense team. It's just too many too many charges out there, uh, both indicted and alleged. We will have full coverage on that case coming up here on the Law and Crime Network starting on Monday with many of us being on deck for that. And we will be back here on the debrief in just a moment to learn the final fate of a husband accused of having his wife murdered with a hammer, plus what attorneys for a millionaire accused of murdering his best friend are saying about the film which resulted in criminal charges against Robert Durst. Those reports are after the break. Welcome back to The Debrief, everybody. A Florida judge today sealed the, state, the fate rather, of Mark Sievers, convicted last month and recommended for a death sentence by the jury. Sievers was the final of three defendants accused in the killing of Dr. Teresa Sievers. Today, husband Mark Sievers told the judge, quote, my soul is in God's hands and God knows the truth. The judge, however, still sentenced Sievers to the death chamber, agreeing with the jury's recommendation from last month. We are learning of another key agreement between prosecutors and defense attorneys in the murder case against real estate heir Robert Durst. Prosecutors say Durst killed his friend Susan Berman because she knew Durst had previously killed his wife, Kathy, nearly two decades earlier. Durst is thought by many to have confessed to the killings in a hot mic moment in the HBO film The Jinx. But the defense has been fighting over whether the film was edited so that the statements were out of context. Court documents say the state and the defense are now agreeing that the film was edited, but that the underlying statements in the raw footage are accurate. Here's how the film presented those statements. There it is. You're caught. You're right, of course. But you can't imagine. What's in the house? Yesterday, we also told you how the defense stipulated that this note mailed to the Beverly Hills Police Department was indeed written by Durst himself. The letter's authorship had before now been hotly contested. The letter lists 
Susan Berman's address says the word cadaver and was mailed just days after Berman's death. Let's jump back in with our panelists now, Cheryl Dorsey and Jean Rossi, back once again to discuss these developments. Cheryl, it seems like everybody's agreeing on a lot of things that were shaping up to be the core of the contested case here. Why is that? Well, I mean, it's very hard to argue. I, you know, we hear him in his own words. And it's very off-putting to me that he's ha having this extended conversation with himself. But, I mean, you can't deny what we're all seeing and hearing. Well, yeah, but they're saying that, oh, you know, this was all edited, that we're hearing what sounds like a flat stream of consciousness, but the words were, were chopped up. And that was the whole case and everything. So, Gene, the defense is saying, oh, this is strategic. There's a strategic reason why we're just going to agree to all of this. Can you look and try to figure out why that might be? It's called mitigation. They're mitigating the embarrassment they would suffer if they tried to argue that it wasn't his handwriting on the uh, envelope and that it wasn't edited in that film clip where he's talking to himself. So they're just mitigating and they're going to try and argue that that, you know, exchange in the bathroom uh, was just him rambling and he was incoherent and it wasn't for truth. It was just he was having a stream of consciousness. Now, on the letter, that one's a tricky wicket because <laughs> he's writing a letter to the deceased a few days after the deceased was, was killed. And that one's going to be a hard one to explain, but it is mitigation. Well, he's, he's writing a letter to the police saying that there's a cadaver at her address, not writing to her directly, but, but it's basically yeah. signaling somebody yeah. that, that there's a dead body there. And, and look, I mean, you're using the word mitigation, Gene, and I know that we have our little emails after the show using all of our fancy words, but mitigation is basically picking your battles. Yeah, mitigation to me is cutting your losses and trying not to embarrass yourself by arguing the most obvious. It's like, it's like if you have a recording of your client you can't get up in front of a jury and say, that's not my client's voice. So you have to sort of agree and stipulate the things so that you kind of lower the risk that the jury is going to, you know, take its venom on you. Exactly, because otherwise they'd be fighting absolutely everything and probably lose credibility. Cheryl Dorsey, Gene Rossi, great discussion here on The Debrief. We will be back on Monday with updates from the Harvey Weinstein courtroom here in New York. We'll see you then.